This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. The young shining cuckoo is fed by its foster parents on insects and spiders. But the korimako, or bellbird, has a much more interesting diet of nectar. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird, with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or chaos, we can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society. Community or chaos, made possible by support from the Peace and Disarmament Education Trust. Good day, friends. Today we're talking with Najab Lafar, who's a retired uh, political studies professor on international relations, Islam and politics, and Islamic militancy in Afghanistan, where he, Najab served as Minister of Foreign Affairs from 1992 to 1996. He also took part in the liberation movement against the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in the 1980s. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz. Nigel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Yes, I was born and raised in Kabul, Afghanistan. I did my studies there until I finished Kabul University graduating in law and political science then for my higher studies I went to the United States University of Hawaii I did a master's there and a PhD and while I was doing PhD the Soviet invasion took place and as you mentioned I joined the anti-Soviet resistance movement I was with them returned finished my PhD and uh, went back to Pakistan worked with them until we went uh, in Pakistan also there was a government in exile in which I was minister of information when we went to Kabul I was appointed minister of uh, state for foreign affairs that was until Taliban captured Kabul for a year we were in hiding then Pakistan after three years uh, we came to New Zealand as refugees and uh, we have been here since and I was a senior lecturer at Department of Politics not professor All right, we'll go straight to Afghanistan and the conflict there why did the US and NATO fail despite having more than 14, 140,000 troops. How did you, could you give a brief potted history of Afghanistan? <laughs> uh, I don't think that we can do if the whole program was devoted to 
uh, Commission of History, but just briefly, the most, you know, Afghanistan, the region, uh, it's located, it has, it has a shared history, with what is called Pakistan today, with Iran, with Central Asia, but modern Afghanistan emerged in mid-18th uh, century. Uh, the modern state was formed in late 19th century with the help of uh, Britain when the uh, Afghan king, he gave up the foreign affairs in uh, return for uh, British support, military weapon support and cash support. And through that, he was able to establish a central government. So the state of, if we have such a thing, nation state of Afghanistan, uh, dates back from late 19th century. Uh, 20th century, we had a period of stability because the king who reached uh, power at the age of just 19 or 20, he reigned and ruled for about 40 years uh, until uh, the uh, 1960s. It was a despotic rule, uh, the family rule, the king's family rule. And then they tried to design something that the new constitution and so-called decade of democracy started from 1963 to 1973. In 1973, there was a coup. King's cousin and brother-in-law launched a coup against the king, so he removed monarchy and established uh, a republic. But he had come to power with the help of the communists, and those communists, he fell off with the communists and the Soviet Union, and because of that, he was removed in another coup in April 1978, uh, in which the pro-Moscow communists came to power. And I consider that day as the blackest day of modern Afghan history, because all our miseries started from April 27, 1978 when the communists came. Since um, uh, Afghan people were Muslim and they considered communists as atheists, they started resistance and that forced the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan in uh, Christmas 1979. They were there for 14 years until the Red Army was forced off of Afghanistan and the uh, communist government survived another year and a half or so until April 1992. Then the government that I was a member of, we went to Kabul until Taliban uh, captured Kabul. And then we have the 9-11 and so uh, U.S. invasion of Afghanistan and the rest. Okay. Well, after the U.S. occupation of of Afghanistan with NATO's help, why did they fail despite their overwhelming majority of troops and military power? Uh, the Afghan people 
at the beginning they welcomed the U.S. troops because they were sick and tired of the war and instability and they thought that the, Taliban, the U.S. was there to get rid of the Taliban and their troops would leave and the U.S. and other Western countries aid will start coming so that would be that would lead to a period of stability and prosperity but unfortunately the uh, u.s overstate its welcome and not only that but they committed so much atrocities and that did such acts against the cultural norms of afghans against the religious norms of Afghans, that soon that uh, friendly face became uh, an enemy to the majority of Afghans. So uh, Taliban, who seemed a spent force uh, after uh, they were removed from Kabul um, and uh, at the end, towards the end of uh, 2001, after a few years, they re-emerged and thanks to the uh, corruption of the um, uh, government supported by the U.S. and other uh, factors, they slowly gained more power. What was the difference between the Taliban and the Mujahideen? You mean Mujahideen? Yeah. Yeah, Mujahideen and Taliban. Taliban were actually part of some groups of Mujahideen. Uh, Mujahid, and, and also they call themselves Mujahid, you know, Talib Mujahid, because Mujahid means the person who wages jihad, and jihad is an Arabic word which means striving one's best. And there is a saying of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that the greatest jihad is jihad against your own evil tendencies. But Islam also allows what the Prophet called smaller jihad, and that is to defend your uh, homeland, your property, your honor. So this is why Afghans, uh, they uh, resorted to jihad against the Soviet Union, and that um, there were many groups of mujahideen with different ideas and ideologies. So uh, Taliban, they would be of the same kind of mentality with some Mujahideen, but certainly very different from the Mujahideen group that I was a member of, because that uh, group uh, valued uh, education, valued uh, um, uh, moderate policies, in our, and that is what we understand Islam. Islam is a moderate uh, religion that tries to avoid extremes of um, materialism and spiritualism both. So uh, um, Taliban are very different from those Mujahideen uh, groups who uh, adhere to moderate uh, mainstream Islam. They, they unfortunately... Um, when they're reading from uh, Islam is very strict and literal. And second, they have also associated Afghan cultural norms with religion. This is the other problem. 
So these two make them very different from some of the Mujahideen group and especially from the one that I was associated with. They seem to overtake the, the, uh, the moderate Mujahideen, didn't they? Uh, what happened in uh, 1990s, uh, unfortunately, uh, what is called civil war, and I call it imposed civil war, started in Afghanistan after the um, victory of Mujahideen. What, why that's uh, imposed civil war? Because I was a member of that government that came to power uh, in Kabul in after April 1992. We wanted good relations with all the countries in the world, including Pakistan. But having just good and friendly and brotherly relations was not enough for Pakistan. They wanted special relationship. They wanted to play the role of the big brother. So this is why when we said that despite India's uh, support of the communist uh, regime, we are ready to open a new chapter in our relations with India. The Pakistanis, they got enraged. How could you open a new chapter with your enemies and our enemies without asking us? So this is why they tried to bring the people that um, uh, they felt that was closer to their uh, way of uh, thinking to power and that was Gulbuddin Hekmatyar's Hesbe Islami, and um, for three years they tried that. Once that failed and they realized that uh, Hekmatyar would not be able to uh, come to power, then they designed and supported the Taliban. So this is, yes, you're right that the Taliban were able to uh, remove the government uh, established by Mujahideen in September 1996. And the reason was, unfortunately, one, we blame ourselves, that we Mujahideen were not able to uh, establish a united front. And door, door, uh, second, uh, equally important, or probably more uh, important, was the Pakistani support for the Taliban. How were the Taliban able to capture such a large area as quickly as they did after the uh, Joe Biden uh, announced the withdrawal plan? Uh, one goes back to what the U.S. and NATO troops did in Afghanistan, and the second relates to the government that they supported in Kabul. That government was extremely corrupt. They were not able to establish uh, security around the country. People suffered uh, from uh, law order problems. In Kabul city, my own cousin in daylight she had received some uh, cash uh, from some relatives from abroad. Once she picked up from uh, the bank, uh, some people, they snatched her handbag and took the, the, ran away with the money. This was in Kabul city during the daylight. 
So people were sick and tired of that. So the fall of the Kabul regime after the uh, withdrawal of the foreign troops, there was no question. But how they were able, the Taliban were able to uh, move so quickly, that is has uh, puzzled everyone and no one has the firm answer yet because the Afghan army troops, the majority of them, of course, were recruits whom you expected that they will give up a fight. But they gave up without putting a fight. And not only them, but even the troops that were specially trained and they received very high salaries from the United States and CIA and uh, the Afghan intelligence uh, agencies, they did not also put up a fight. Why? Was money involved? Was putting pressure from abroad involved? Who did it? These are the questions that history will tell us and these are all unclear at the moment. The Taliban was actually, wasn't it created in Pakistan? That's right, By yes. study groups and small groups that the Pakistani intelligence supported? And yes, the uh, Taliban, as I said, they were uh, uh, part of the Mujahideen, the leadership of it. And Talib, as you may know, means seeker. In an Arabic word, Talib, uh, Talib means seeker, the seekers of knowledge. So the students of Islamic uh, madrasa Islamic schools are called Talib. And they were situated in Pakistan, weren't they? The, uh, mm, yes, most of the uh, rank and file, they studied in Pakistan and they uh, lived in Pakistan. Many of them were born in Pakistan, not seeing, not living in Afghanistan for a very long time, but their uh, leadership were both in Pakistan and in Afghanistan. Now, was the United States and their allies' decision to occupy Afghanistan wise? And how, how do you feel about this at this point? Not at this point, because it's very clear now that this uh, was a mistake. But I was, from the very beginning, I was against it. Uh, I uh, attended a foreign policy school. Uh, before I started teaching at Otago, I think it was uh, 2002, early 2002 or June 2002, and uh, I was critical of United States going to Afghanistan uh, because I believe there were other ways for the U.S. to uh, take care of Bin Laden or the Taliban uh, hosting Bin Laden and even uh, removing Taliban from power rather than invasion. Because once you go there to Afghanistan, uh, it's like a quagmire. So you will, it will be very difficult to get yourself out. And this is why they were able to remove the Taliban government in, 19, in 2001, uh, November 2001, with less than 500 special forces and CIA agents. And then the number reached to 1,000, 2,000, and then it increased. And by 2005, 2006, they had reached to uh, 
uh, close to 30,000. And I remember the uh, British general commander of uh, troops in Afghanistan was saying that if we have 2,000 more troops, we will bring the situation under control. And I wrote an article which was published in International Herald Tribune, and the title that they chose was The Way Out is to Get Out. But unfortunately, the U.S. did not adopt that course of action. They went for more troops until under, under Obama, they reached 140,000, but still they failed. So it was a failure from the very beginning. Was the United States right to pull out of Afghanistan? I think my earlier response certainly answers this because I believe that, yes, Biden did the right thing. Actually, before Biden, Trump, you know, we are all so critical of Trump and um, I'm probably much more than many other people, but I credit Trump with the courage to put the issue of complete withdrawal of U.S. troops out of Afghanistan on negotiation table agenda, on the negotiation agenda with the Taliban. And this is why we had 12 rounds of talks between uh, his special representative, Zalmay Khalilzad, and the Taliban in Qatar, and they reached that agreement according to which the U.S. troops should have withdrawn by uh, the end, uh, beginning of May. But Biden, he postponed it, so uh, for a while he uh, pondered what to do. And uh, even during uh, Obama, uh, when he was vice president, he was against increasing the number of troops. So uh, this, this was something natural for him to decide to withdraw. So he went against, to the, against the advice of the military and Pentagon in deciding to completely withdraw. Yeah, I think it was the right decision, but the way that it was done, unfortunately, it was a disaster. What do you think about politicians such as Helen Clark, who said that um, in a newspaper article at the fall of Kabul that um, the United States should have stayed, and they, she said that you couldn't fix Kabul, Afghanistan in 20 years. You said maybe they should have stayed a longer time, like the U.S. stayed between the border of South Korea and North Korea, which is very different, staying in a border, but protect a one country from attacking another is different from occupying a country. But she made that comparison that maybe they should have stayed 50 years or, or longer. Why would a, why, why do we think like that? Yeah, I missed uh, that article by uh, Helen, and I don't expect that from Helen. Well, Helen Clark, that I know, shouldn't <laughs> give such advice because that is certainly not something, and Biden was right, that uh, people tell me this is not the right time. So tell me when is the right time? 10 years ago you were saying it's not the right time, now it's not the right time, so when will it be the right time? So he was right on that, but the way that he did it, I think that uh, okay. was something else, you know, that, 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 so that, that's like something we can discuss, but not the decision to completely withdraw. How did he, what were some of his mistakes? 
the major decision was correct, you think, but the, right. the way he did it could have been done better, you think? I think before, he, he could have made the decision, but before announcing it, he should have tried to um, force the Afghan government. I think it was that, as that, uh, as much you know, after the uh, agreement between United States and the Taliban for the uh, withdrawal of the troops, the next stage was the talks between Afghan government and the Taliban. And that never, seriously, never took place. And the reason that did not take place, we can blame the Taliban, but I think equally the Ashraf Ghani, who was president, is to be blamed. So I think what the United States could do was tell Ashraf Ghani in confidence, we have made this decision and we are withdrawing. You have to come to an understanding with the Taliban. And that not only the Taliban, but they should have also included other uh, groups, uh, the Taliban and Ashraf Ghani, but other Afghan uh, um, um, social forces for a, camp, uh, a meaningful uh, solution to replace the U.S. troops after their withdrawal. And probably uh, the Taliban would have been open to some uh, peacekeepers from Muslim countries like Qatar and uh, uh, Turkey and some of Tunisia and things like this. So these were the options that the uh, United States had, but unfortunately they did not go in that direction. What they did was they left Bagram Airport without background air base without informing their Afghan counterpart. They learned after the thieves entered the airport base. So what, what are the thieves doing? Because the U.S. has already withdrawn. And then the way that they, uh, what they did uh, at the airport, uh, that, uh, so before uh, completing with their withdrawal, they should have tried to uh, take out, evacuate those uh, who had supported them and whose lives were really them and other uh, their partners uh, whose life were uh, really in danger. Instead of doing that under you know, you know then in disguise and with some kind of uh, secrecy, they announced that they are taking uh, people out. You know, in, uh, we, you might have read uh, uh, there was a news report in New Zealand. A family of four who had supported uh, New Zealand withdrawing from Kabul. They came, I'm not sure, 17, 14 or 17. So they brought more than four, 10 of their relatives who did not, had not done anything to put their life in danger. So that, you know, when, when that announcement was made, everyone, and then it happened, practically it happened, so everyone rushed to the airport, and the chaos was uh, created, and the mayhem, and uh, then we had uh, uh, a terrorist attack that uh, led, uh, led to the loss of life of more than 170 
uh, innocent uh, civilians, and we had the U.S. Uh, drone attack, which killed a family of ten, seven of them uh, children. So all this, thanks to the way that the United States did its withdrawal from Afghanistan. Okay, we might have a bit, bit of music now. Okay. How great the wonder of the heavens And the timeless beauty of the night How great, then how great The Creator And it stars like priceless jewels Far beyond the reach of kings Bow down for the shepherd guiding him home But how many eyes are closed To the wonder of this night Like pearls hidden deep Beneath a dark stream of desires But like dreams vanish with the call to prayer And the dawn extinguishes night Here too are signs God is the light, God is the light How great the beauty of the earth And the creatures who dwell on her How great, then how great, the Creator As its mountains pierce the clouds High above the lives of men Weeping rivers for thousands of years But how many hearts are closed To the wonders of this sight Like birds in a cage Asleep with closed wings But like work stops with a call to prayer And the birds recite Here too are signs God is the light, God is the light of man and the things he makes how great then how great the creator though he strives to reach the heavens he can barely survive the wars of the world he lives in yet how Many times he's tried himself to immortalize Like his parents before him in the Garden of Eden But like the sun sets with the call to prayer and surrenders to the night Here too are signs, God is the light everlasting God is the light everlasting. God is the light everlasting. God is the light everlasting. 
We're talking with Nijeb Lafar, who's former um, foreign affairs minister in Afghanistan and has taught political studies at the Togo University uh, for a long time. And you can podcast this by going to oar.org then going to podcast and going to Community or Chaos. Nigel, if is there talk of a second resistance and can you explain what they mean by that? And before that, I think we should ask, talk about the Taliban some more. The Taliban's have spoken more moderately after they're taking a cabal, but they have most of the same leadership as in the past. Do their actions show that they have changed fundamentally? Yes, you're right that when the Taliban uh, captured Kabul, their spokesmen, they made the right noises, they made promises, they uh, showed a new face, and uh, I personally was cautiously optimistic. I doubt that Afghans are sick and tired of uh, war, so probably this is the opportunity that we get some peace and stability. And that optimism continued more or less until uh, mm, they decided to launch an attack on Panjshir. Uh, and if you like, I can talk about yes, that later on, or shall I talk now? Talk now, so people will... Yes. Uh, uh, what happened um, when Taliban captured Ashraf Ghani, we all know that he escaped, uh, went to uh, United Arab Emirates and uh, many of uh, other uh, ministers, including defense minister, but some went to a valley called Panjshir. And Panjshir is a valley about 60 or 70 kilometers north of Kabul. And this is the valley from which Ahmad Shah Masoud, uh, you might have heard his name, he's an Afghan hero, because he put the stiffest resistance against the Soviet Union and the Soviets where they were not able to capture the valley completely. Uh, during their uh, 14 years of Afghanistan occupation. Uh, he played an important role in the downfall of the uh, communist regime in Kabul. And when Tabul Taliban captured uh, power in 1996, he, he was the only leader to continue resistance against the Taliban until he was martyred in a suicide attack just two days before 9-11. So uh, um, uh, now, uh, when Taliban captured Kabul this time, because of what they had done in the past to the people in the north, the people who were um, uh, worried that they might do implement the same policies again, they went to uh, Panjshir to take shelter over there. 
the, uh, Ashraf Ghani's vice president also went there, but he didn't have any place among the people because although he is from Panjshir, because of what he had done uh, during his term as vice president, people had turned uh, against him, but they uh, gathered around Ahmad Shah Masood's son. His name is Ahmad Masood. And Ahmad Masood, he said, they don't want to fight, they don't want war, but they want some assurances from the Taliban that they would not um, follow the same policies that they had followed in 1990s. Taliban had only two rounds of talk with his Masood's, Ahmad Masood's representatives, and then decided to launch an attack on Panjshir from several directions and according to some reports with the help of Pakistani uh, military and uh, uh, air support they were able to crush the resistance over there and this happened despite the Afghan uh, religious scholars calling on both sides to come to some kind of understanding and agreement and offering their mediation and once they launched the attack, again, they called for ceasefire and they uh, told Taliban you could uh, talk to the United States who are non-Muslims for more than two years. Couldn't you talk with your Muslim brothers even for two months that you launched the attack? So unfortunately that happened and uh, that to me was uh, one of the very negative developments after Taliban came to power and then I was waiting for the government because they were talking of about inclusive government but that inclusive government when, they came, when it came it included only the Taliban, only men and the overwhelming majority of them only from one ethnic group so it was clear that it, was not, it would not have a place among the Afghan people. It would not win the legitimacy among the Afghan people. So yes, unfortunately, they made the right noises, but they have been, what they have been doing has been completely different. And unfortunately, again, they, are, they seem to be resorting to the same kind of policy that they had in 1990s. And, uh, the Guardian, I read this morning that uh, they uh, arrested uh, a journalist, photojournalist who was covering uh, girls' demonstrations in Kabul three weeks ago. And their, his brother says that they don't know whether he's alive, where he is. And also there have been uh, um, uh, photos to show that they had uh, beaten the Taliban and... Uh, abusing women. So these things, unfortunately, are happening again. Uh, but we should also, I should also point out another uh, important uh, issue. The Taliban are not all one hand. Uh, there are differences of opinion among the Taliban. And I think it seems that Mullah Ghani bro brother, brother, who was the uh, leader of the negotiating team. He was one of the high-ranking and one of the founding fathers of the Taliban. But Pakistan arrested him because he was in favor of peace when Karzai was president. 
and he spent about 10 years in uh, Pakistani prison. After the uh, United States started negotiations with the Taliban, uh, they asked Pakistan to release them, so they released them, and after a while he went to uh, Qatar and he uh, headed the negotiating uh, team. So he's one of the moderates. And unfortunately, he was sidelined in the new government. Everyone was expected, expected him to be the prime minister, but the prime minister was another hardliner, and he, Ambassador uh, Ghani, was, uh, I mean, sorry, because the President Ashraf Ghani has to share the same name as Ghani Brother. So Ghani Brother, uh, he uh, was um, appointed as uh, Deputy Prime Minister, but no one has seen him in public. Where he is, only a video was published that he seems to be reading something under the stress uh, from the paper. So uh, where he is and what are the differences among the Taliban? So that is another issue related to your question. Okay. Is there talk of further uh, second resistance still? Yes. The, uh, Ahmad Masood and the uh, people uh, associated with him uh, after uh, um, Taliban were able to capture Panjshir Valley, they went to the mountains and Afghanistan is a mountainous area. And Taliban know this very well because they were able to survive <coughs> They were able to survive and to put up a strong fight when they were part of Mujahideen against the Soviet Union and when they uh, were fighting against the United States, uh, thanks to the uh, geology of Afghanistan. So the, uh, when they went there, <coughs> when Masoud, Ahmed Masoud and his supporters went there, they called for second resistance. And it seems that you know, there have been attacks against the Taliban, uh, not only in uh, ISIS stronghold Jalalabad, but also in some other areas. So it seems that um, probably different groups would emerge around the country, uh, giving a positive response to this call for the second resistance. It's called second resistance because the resistance against the Taliban in 1990s <coughs> That, uh, against the Taliban in the 1990s, that was the first uh, resistance. So, what's happened to the institutions of, of Afghanistan under the impact of the Taliban? Uh, the institutions are um, so far still there, most of them, except for the Ministry of uh, Women Affairs, which was uh, changed to another ministry, um, guidance uh, and invitation by the Taliban. Uh, the rest of the institutions are still there, uh, but uh, um, whether they are functioning or not, and how well they are functioning, that is, there is a, a, a big question, and how uh, um, long uh, they would be able to continue. For example, the uh, mm, <coughs> the private televisions, 
and uh, then uh, private newspapers, they are still uh, working, although there have been changes, how long they would be able to continue. Again, as I said, it is uh, a question that we cannot answer now. Well, what's your, how do you, what do you expect to see in the future of Afghanistan? And can um, the UN and other parts of the world influence Afghanistan's future in a positive way? I'm not sure. Uh, it depends on how other countries <coughs> treat the Taliban. If they are completely isolated from the international community, uh, I'm sure sooner or later they would realize that they cannot do everything by themselves. So they have to uh, have relations with other countries and for that they need to uh, change their policies. But unfortunately, they have a very, very strong supporter in Pakistan, but not only Pakistan, but also China. Because uh, from the very beginning, Taliban uh, spokesmen were talking about uh, Chinese assistance. So it seems that there is some kind of understanding between China and Taliban, and in my mind, on two major issues. One on Uyghur Muslims, because China is afraid that Afghanistan might uh, serve as a host country for the ethnic Uyghurs who are uh, resisting against its uh, domination in uh, Xinjiang province. So Taliban might have given up, <laughs> and this is ironic, because on the one hand, they keep, uh, claim to be Islamic, and if they have given up the right of the Uyghurs for good relations with China, I think every Muslim should reconsider their positive view of the Taliban. And uh, so um, a second issue would be China providing financial support. And uh, I'm not sure whether it took place or not. They announced 30 million China announced $30 million so-called humanitarian assistance to Afghanistan. So if that happens, then no international community would not be able to exert much pressure. Is one of the tragedies of Afghanistan the fact that other countries like the United States, the Soviet Union, Pakistan, and China have sort of proxy wars in Afghanistan territory? Uh, you can call it that. You know, my, I was part of the Mujahideen, and that is called also proxy uh, war uh, by people like uh, that I, the British journalist that I uh, respect him very much. Uh, what's his name? So, yes, but... It would have been proxy war. The Mujahideen would have been proxy war if it was the United States who created Mujahideen. But that was not the case. Mujahideen, mm -hmm. they proved 
they were able to successfully resist against the Soviet Union, then the United States found the opportunity to support them. Yes, there was international support. So uh, the same way we can call, we can talk about proxy wars. So some of them, yes, they are real proxy wars, and some of them, they have been labeled as proxy wars. And uh, I'm not sure how much time mm-hmm. we have because you asked about how do I think about future and then you added another question. So do we have, do I, we have time that I answer about yeah, the future? Quickly. Yes, about the future. Unfortunately, after my initial optimism, now it seems very bleak because there are, you know, that the way that Taliban are moving it seems that we can envision two scenarios. One, they would be able to crush all the resistance with Pakistani and Chinese support and uh, establish their own rule, and there will be peace, and would be a peace, and I think it was Professor William Mealy that called peace that Taliban had, relative peace that they had brought some parts of the country in 1990s as peace of the grave. So it would be the peace of the grave, Afghan not having any rights and just uh, going about ordinary business, uh, not enjoying any kind of uh, freedom, not uh, even being able to uh, practice their own religion according to their own beliefs because we have Shias. And one of the positive things about Taliban so far to me was that they allowed the Shias to uh, carry out their uh, uh, traditional ceremonies. But uh, if if, uh, the way that they are going continues, there is possibility that they would ban those kind of things in the future. So that is one scenario that can be uh, seen. And the other would be the second resistance that have been announced, spreading that around the uh, country and uh, different parts of the country. And I'm sure that sooner or later that will happen if Taliban policies, that's the way that they are going, continue, that, that uh, resistance around the country will emerge and there are already signs there, and that would mean another, what the world will call civil war, but again I will call it imposed civil war, because I believe that the Taliban would be able to carry out that uh, so-called civil war with the help of their foreign supporters. So um, whether that means uh, the vision of Afghanistan, unfortunately, I see that people have started talking about that, and that is really uh, depressing to me that people are starting talking about the vision of Afghanistan or continuous uh, warfare for another generation. So I'm just praying that may God help us. Sometimes you have to pray that you're wrong. Yeah, I hope that I'm wrong in those uh, predictions that these are the, these seem to be the only two scenarios that the the country is going. Thank you very much for coming on, Najib. You're welcome.
to see Some folks see things not everybody can see And once in a while they pass a secret along to you and me And I believe in miracles Something sacred burning in every bush and tree This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.